Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Auburn Express. Powered by The Wall Report. All aboard the AM departure from Platform 334, The Auburn Express. We're running on time and expecting no hiccups. Doing the work, hard work, to bring you the best Auburn sports content you'll find anywhere. Chris Moore going down was what Alan Flanagan needs to have his ascension. You just, the, the problem is that Chris Moore, when he gets back, is just never the same Chris Moore he was in those first 12 games of the season. Um, and it's not, again, to your point, it's not that he was scoring so much or even that he was um doing a bunch of things from a rebounding like it, the stat line's not going to show the effort and the energy and the like it was just it, he was a different Chris Moore he was more tentative he was um he his defense was still pretty good but the, on the offensive end he just wasn't within the flow of things he wasn't taking shots very much even if they were open like i remember distinctly uh in that Houston game for instance right here at the end of the season where he grabs a rebound and he has an opportunity to go back up with the shot. Um, and he tur- the first thing he thinks to do is turn and look for somebody to pass the ball to. And that's just not the Chris Moore that would have been earlier in the season. He did, you know, given a couple pump fakes and then tried to go in there and, and, and get a bucket. He just was a different player after he came back from that injury. You didn't have to game plan for him because, I mean, he wasn't putting up shots. I mean, from a defensive standpoint, hey, you don't got to worry about him a lot. Obviously, don't give him a stupidly open look, but... he's not going to put it up. And for so many of these games at the end of the year that came down to the wire, I mean, with how close some of these losses got, you got to sit there and wonder, and man, if, if Simo had maybe gotten some of those high fists and she saw he'd been getting, you know, that three to eight mark that he liked to get without giving up a lot of bad rebounds or anything to the other team for just erratic high volume shots. Could that have been some of the difference? And I think the key for this team too, through the season is they were just on the edge of it. Because if you look at the team stats total, what they averaged out to be between this year's team and last year's team, like they're not too far off. So you got to kind of wonder, like those little, just the littlest of margins could have made this a completely different team from a team that went 21 and 13. Is this like a 25, 26 win team? If you just had a few of these little things go right. And I think a lot of people are looking back, and this is where I'm going to say, if you feel this way, you are wrong. Like, oh, this is a bad team. This team, you know, underperformed, you know, whatever, whatever negative flack you have, that's just not it. It was just, 
the smallest of little things made the difference in some of these just very small marginal losses. And sometimes that's just really what it is. It wasn't, and that's what I was trying to do is I was digging through the stats and I can sure you don't do a lot of stats. There was not just anything that was just like egregiously bad. Like, Oh man, this team could not do this. The things that were egregiously bad, like some of their shootings and things, well, toward the end of the year, those things leveled out to be pretty average. Yeah. I mean, we were not as poor a shooting team as we appeared to be earlier in the season. Uh, but we were not as good a defensive team as we appeared to be earlier in the season. And that, that's one of the things that you and I talked about as as we're talking about trends for the season. Uh, the biggest trend that you're going to start seeing is that Auburn could never put a complete game together. Yeah. Like, until you, you really don't get a complete game from Auburn until you get to Missouri. And that was, like, definitely not the trend of what's happening with this team. If we played good defense in that game, we weren't shooting the ball very well. If we shot the ball really well, we weren't playing good defense or we weren't getting any rebounds. Uh, if we rebounded the ball really well, we were turning the ball over a bunch. Uh, if we didn't turn the ball over very much, we weren't sharing the ball very well. It was just, was just like, it was just something. And then you get to the end of the season with Houston, you play a great first half, you don't play a great second half. Same thing with Alabama. You play a great first half in the game, second half, you fall apart. Um you know, you're scoring the ball really well first half against Houston. You're you're really getting whatever shot you want for the vast majority of the game. Can't make free throws, right? Like it was just, there was every time you plugged one situation, some, some you sprung a leak somewhere else and you were just like, we, we can't, we can't do all things at one time. Though you've shown the ability to do all of these things. And it wasn't even just like, you might say to yourself, well, well those are matchups, right? It's like, ah, oh, we just, we had a better matchup against Missouri, which is why we, we, we did. Well, we, we played other teams that were similar to Missouri and we didn't play that well against them. Right. Like it's just, it was always something was perhaps uh freaking, uh, what's a, a good example of this? The first Arkansas game was a good example of this. Arkansas was always, now they didn't have Nick Smith, but Arkansas was always bigger than us. One through five. Played a hell of a game against Arkansas the first time. Second game against Arkansas, Nick Smith is there. We only lose that game by three points, by the way. But it wasn't because we all of a sudden forgot how to play defense. We weren't getting back in transition. Weren't having that problem earlier in the season, though. Personnel wasn't the difference in that. It was just inconsistency in how we were approaching games that was baffling for this team. Yeah, and and also, too, I'm kind of pulling up A&M because A&M got bested Auburn twice throughout the season. Only you know, one of those you know, games matters because one of them was ridiculous as far as officiating, and I will stick by that until the end of time. The A&M game at Texas A&M was atrocious. I'm not even, yeah, I'm, I'm not even looking at that game because, yes, when the, and it's interesting, too, I'm just going to note this because I got to throw some shade at A&M. Uh, Brandy were here, she'd call them frauds, so in the, uh, in the spirit of Brandy, A&M was some frauds, and if you go back and look at some of the games of A&M where Auburn, I think that was like 39 to 14, free throw attempt discrepancy. A&M did that to a lot of teams. So it was just very evident that they had some game plans of going there and just get fouls and get to the line. And that's how they won games. They really had no business winning. And the games that they lost, that was it was the opposite of that, where they were either even or less than the other team, and they get blown out. So they were controlling the points and the momentum of that, and that is a fraudulent way to play. And I think that is why A&M's postseason got exposed when I guess it's a different batch of refs who just aren't going to be putting up with that. But once again, going to the first A&M game, the one I'm okay talking about, you had Radford who got 30 points on Auburn, played 37 minutes. And everybody was saying, 
oh, you know, it's, it's a size mismatch. This dude's six two. Like, there's no yeah. size mismatch, and, and no. that's I guess that's one narrative I want to I want to really kind of get after here a little bit because everyone kept saying their other guard. Well, what's, what's the kid's name? Um, you talk about, you talk about Dennis? No, no, no. Um, uh, uh, uh Taylor. Yes. Uh, Wade well, Taylor. Wade Taylor. He's not very tall either. Yeah, he's six zero. So you got to do the six two. Now Dennis is a little bit larger. I guess they were kind yeah, of but I'm just saying, if three, you're t- but- going by the two guys who really torched you in that game, especially mm-hmm. in the first half, it was Wade Taylor and, and, and Radford, right? Boots, Radford, Wade Taylor torched you in that game. They're only like an inch or two taller than our guards. That's not like yeah. some huge 6'3", six, 6'4", six, guy going up against 5'10", five, 5'11", five, Wendell, right? Like that's, he's giving up a inch, maybe two inches to these guys. And so the size of the guard, I mean, especially in A&M's case, isn't the biggest deal. Yeah, and that's a narrative I'm seeing tossed around a lot. Everybody said, well, you know, with Auburn's size mismatch everybody. And I would go look, and I, I'd kind of compare the the size of the teams and guys who went off and even the big guys and the rebounds. Mildred I'm just Davis, like, I'm, not that tall. Yeah, 6'0". Uh, Boogie Ellis, I believe, I'm going to double-check this. I want to say he's maybe 6'2". He's a little taller, yeah. 6'3". So, a little bit taller. But once again, it's not this egregious just machine of a guard. It's not like it's an impossible matchup there. And so, getting back to the whole point of this, even the big men on some of these teams, it's not like they were torching you down low. It's not like these big guys were out-rebounding the crap out of Auburn. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, Auburn was mostly... I mean, it was a 30... For the first game against A&M, it was 34-38 rebounding. So, you're not going to say a discrepancy of four rebounds is like the utter absolute reason you lost the game. Does it help? Yeah, you want to get those. But it wasn't like you got out-rebounded 45-25. to 25. Right. It wasn't so, like the Kentucky game or the the Arkansas game in the SEC tournament where you're getting destroyed. Yeah. So for people saying, oh, it's a size thing. I mean, Jalen, Flan, Broom, Cardwell, even more. Like, those are all pretty tall guys who are still playing out there. Like, yes, Wendell is short. We get that. KD is, what's it, 6'0". KD's yeah. a little short. Wendell, uh, Zeph's Zeph like 6'1". Yeah. But once again, there's plenty of teams that have smaller guards who do just fine. So that... That's a narrative I just don't necessarily buy a whole lot of. I think it's just an easy thing to say. And unfortunately, with Wendell being the primary point guard, it's an easy target to pick on. And the fact that he says they say he's 5'11", he's probably might even be a little shorter than that. Five Let's nine, be real. Yes, if he was. Yeah. Really <laughs> um, 5'10". I mean, so let, let's be real about a lot of this stuff. A lot of these guys are not as tall as they say. I've been in the locker room next to a lot of these guys. What what do they have Chris Moore um, listed as? Six five? They got six six on Chris Moore. There's no way Chris Moore is six six. Yeah, and ooh, a lot of people are uh, lusting over the idea of Chance Westry being six six. Oh, big guard. I'm a, I'm gonna break it to you guys. I hate to tell y'all. I've stood next to him. I've talked to him. Chance Westry is not six six. He's six three at best. Yeah, and, and and granted, it's bigger size than we got. But everyone yeah. thinking like, oh, we got this big guy who can kind of play one through three. He can do all these things like. It is not an uncommon thing for teams to exaggerate across all sports the heights and the weights of their guys. That is why the NFL, you know, just pro day, they remeasure everybody because they didn't. You don't see Kirk Sampson trotting up to all the NFL scouts saying, hey, here's how tall these guys are. Nope. They pull out the measuring tape and they measure them themselves. Right. Because they're going to verify it. They're not trusting the website. And guess what? Not always right. I don't know why it is so off like that. I don't know if it's like a, maybe it's like a farce to like mess people's scouting reports, but. Yes, we'll never know. Probably an industry industry secret. But uh, kind of kind of champing on here, we see the trends. West Virginia does the exact same thing against Auburn. 
once again get torched by a guard. Painful enough here. Um, wasn't wasn't uh, what was the guy that was going to be coming to Auburn or West Virginia? Or they had um, they were looking at him. The kid that was at South Carolina the year before. Um, oh, it was Steve. It was Steve, Eric Stevenson. Yeah, and you know that that like you probably couldn't draw up like a worse a worse bit of pain there for this dude to drop a six four guard like a, a bigger guard who would have been really needed for him to drop thirty one on you once again playing thirty eight minutes and it was what it was is when teams were seeing like hey these guys are hot Auburn can't stop them they just played well above their season averages and I think the other thing that sucks too is these guys in teams. We're shooting like well above their season averages too. Oh, they, they were going nuts, absolutely and, nuts. And that's where Auburn was just absolutely dying in the Kim Palm luck rating, being like in the mid to high two hundreds in Kim Palm for luck, because that was what's happening. These other teams just every time they play Auburn was going off, and we kind of see the consistency here. Auburn had a set of weaknesses that you mentioned it too. You patch one hole, another one bursts, and this was the one that was just getting harder to patch because you would throw Zep on some of these guys. But then you weren't getting the point productions out of Zep. Right. Because, you know, West Virginia, Zep gets zero points. You throw KD in, he gets 10. So it was kind of like a pick your poison. And that's one of the things I was going to say when you mentioned about, uh, I don't remember whether it was us talking beforehand or afterwards about Zep Jasper being an off guard this season for playing out of position. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was playing out of position, but. He's he can't initiate the offense in a real way, so it makes it difficult for you to play him at the point guard unless you're going to play Wendell at the off guard. And and Wendell is a ball dominant guard. He doesn't play well off the ball. Um, so you have to pair Zip if he if you're going to play him on the ball with a guy like KD. And and it wasn't until later in the season that you see KD Johnson become a guy who you can rely on to play within the system. So if you're going to have Zip, who's going to be working well within the system, you have to pair him with somebody, if you're going to play him at point, that is going to play within the system but be a scorer. And so maybe later in the system, you could have seen a KD-Zip uh, two-guard situation, but that w- that just wouldn't have worked earlier in the season because Zip's not going to initiate your offense and KD's not going to play within it. Mm-hmm. Right? It just wasn't going to be a good pairing for those two to be on the court uh, at the same time. And then when you bring Trey in, Trey's not an off-the-ball guard. He's an on-the-ball um, point, right? Even when we went to the three-guard lineup for very few times this season, um, you could play Trey in that, but he would, him and Wendell would basically bounce back and forth, more so with Trey handling it, but um, Trey would mostly be the on-ball point guard in that scenario. So you just weren't able to get situations where Zep had minutes. And, and that's one of the things when we talk about, like, moving forward, projecting forward, that I actually think is going to be better for Auburn in the future is that as much as I love Zep Jasper, you're going to have a true point guard, playing point guard that can initiate the offense and get you points. Um, You're going to miss a little bit of his defense, but you're going to have more point productivity from the one spot with Trey Donaldson playing more minutes. Yeah, I mean, you definitely you definitely would see some of them. I think Tennessee is the best example of that. I mean, where Zep would have some games, just play some of that lockdown defense. I mean, there's some moments against Alabama, but the issue is Zep's not in there the whole game. It almost kind of got to be a situational role play with what they'd use him at. You just, you started to kind of see the downhill trend of Zep there and debate. The the, the debate of the, the Zep-Jasper saga is something for uh, for a whole, could do a whole nother episode on just that alone, but kind of keeping the 
the zooming in here of the point guard situation, going to Trey Donaldson because it was the game against just kind of re- jumping back for very briefly against Georgia State where he played 19 minutes, played really well, and everyone's like, oh, forgot about Trey. Going back, uh, going back then, like, oh, wow. And then he you know, had a really good game against USC and then just started playing a little bit more humbler minutes when uh, Wendell kind of came back from the injury. A little bit, it, oddly enough, in the the easier days of SEC play, you didn't see a whole lot of Trey who's playing some of his least minutes. I guess maybe Bruce is trying to potentially just let Wendell get a little hotter these games. And then toward the end of the season, and I think this is kind of where everybody's getting a little bit more optimistic, and I think very much with reason, especially in the tournament, because, I mean, Trey came out when it counted. I mean, going five for five from threes is going to be a really good way to cap it in March. You start to feel good about Trey, because, I mean, even the minutes he'd come in, there weren't a whole lot of games you'd say, oh, utter liability. There were definitely some that weren't great. But he was a guy who was starting to heat up the end of the season. But I think everybody kind of understood he didn't necessarily have the fairest chances of when he'd come in. The rotations are always kind of off because of foul trouble. Can't really judge a whole lot from trade there. Broom playing very, very consistent ball. Jalen not necessarily heating up. But this is the time of the season where we're starting to see KD start coming along again. Like I said, he West Virginia game, KD starts scoring double-digit points. And after that, He's doing that pretty consistently. Another big thing with KD, he's not shooting the ball erratically. He's shooting much more efficiently. His his field goal percentage is much higher. He because beforehand KD would get shots, but just because of volume, right. he'd go you know five of eighteen. Well, you know he'd get some points, but as well he missed a lot more into that. wasn't fouling as much. KD was playing a much smarter brand of basketball, and that started to show. At the same time, Flanagan's heating up, right. But the sad part is, like you said, what are we doing? We're patching some holes. We got Katie and Flan coming back, but guess who's kind of on the way down? Dylan Cardwell. Yeah, Dylan Cardwell's going, going down. Jalen Williams actually is on his descent at this point in time. He's not taking as many shots, really more so than him being not efficient. Uh, but he's not being a focal point of the offense as you get later on into the season. Of course, we've already remarked about Chris Moore and his injury, making him not the same kind of player. So um, you lose three of the guys that really kept you afloat earlier in the season and, and you exchange it for productivity for some from some other guys that you weren't expecting to see based upon what they showed you early in the season. Um, so you just never really get to a point, again, where you've got all cylinders firing at the same time. Yeah, and I think that really goes to show what was the narrative of this entire season. Look over here. I'm now jumping over. The Vanderbilt game, that was an away game. You really didn't have any business losing. But Flanagan didn't have, it was kind of one of those seeds, played a lot of minutes. Flanagan only got five points, didn't shoot the ball a lot. This was a bad game for Wendell. So this is kind of restart to see maybe even a little bit of a debate where Wendell's starting to have a little bit of a slide. Two of 14, 0 oh and yeah. 3 deep. Wendell, and definite, Wendell definitely had progressively worse field goal performances right like when we've already talked about this his free throw performances well we haven't talked about it concretely yet but his free throw performance is really what kept him alive as far as points are concerned but his performance from the field definitely took significant steps back as the season went on like he'd have a couple of moments within games where he'd hit a couple of shots but he could not consistently score from the floor it was the free throw line that kept him alive Right. And even too, I mean, his deep and really he just never, even compared to last season, you know, logo win, 
Right. Logo Win, Logo Win was was gone this year. I mean, he'd have a you'd see a little flash, like a memory, like a flash. Oh my gosh, he took that one from the paint, and that was it. You know, it just it was it was not as consistent as it was last year. Now, granted, it really helps you've got Walker and Jabari out there taking a lot of the heat off of you because you wouldn't catch it. You would not dare catch a team trying to do a double team trap at Win at Wendell as he crossed half court because he's dumping that to Jabari, and Jabari's going to make you pay for that every single time. Didn't have that this year, so it was easier to. Pester him a little bit more, but yeah, it just as as SEC play went on, the deep ball for Wendell was just not late. Was not hitting. He was trying to take a lot of them. They weren't going. He was obviously we know he was calling his number a lot at the end of the games. There was not a whole lot of clutch there, so I think that was starting to be a bit of frustration because this is where you start to see a little bit of people kind of turn on Wendell. Kind of an interesting topic of this moving forward. Kind of zooming in and zooming in on him. He's still pretty much playing. Well over 30 minutes a game for the majority of SEC play. And he's going to the free point line, uh, the the free point line, the free throw line Mm -hmm. should be the free point line. So we'll just go ahead and dive into this fun stat. So as we said, Wendell from the free throw line for the entire year, and we we, jaws dropped when we discussed this uh, on the talking points before the episode from the free throw line, Wendell made or let's, let's zoom out here his total points for the season was 467 i ironically tied or ironically strangely interestingly tied with broom at 467 mm-hmm. i don't know if that's ever happened before where your top leading scorers had the exact same number of points for a season so that's kind of cool as far as how many of those points came from the free throw line every listener out there try to take a guess drum roll all right 160 of Wendell's points for the season came from the free throw line. To put that in perspective, the second most points from the free throw line on this team was Katie Johnson with 77. Hmm. Almost a 100-point difference in that. So if you take that away, Wendell had 307 points, not including the free throws that he had. So kind of what we teased at early in the episode, a lot of Wendell's production was from the free... was from the uh, free throw line. Now he did shoot 84.2% for the season. That's really good. Auburn is a team averaged around 70. That's not so great. You need to gas those numbers up to 75 plus. If they had done that, maybe you look at some games that are a little bit different. For sure. Kind of a point because obviously what happened with Houston and Broome. Yeah. The free throw line was, was definitely a, and if we're talking about themes for the season, Mm-hmm. Uh, we missed a ton of free throws in games, and had we shot better from the free throw line in those games, we probably win four or five more games if we shoot seventy five percent on the season. Yeah, that's a pain point. Now, jumping on Wendell, though, what, what what are your thoughts on Wendell, kind of this season and moving forward? Because that's an interesting, that's a hot topic right now. Because everybody says guard, 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 play, kind of a passive aggressive jab, you know, at Wendell. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing is. Second team all SEC, right? Um, yep. Debatable as to if Nick Smith plays the entire season, whether or not he gets that, right? I, I don't know, right? But what I do know is that Wendell is a top five guard in the league, and people want to just discard him as if he's terrible, which is crazy mm-hmm. to me. What I do, what I will say about Wendell Green is that he has to figure out how to not get frustrated when we need buckets 
feeling like it has to come from him. And I don't know if that's just going and getting help from somebody else who can go reliably get those buckets or what, but he definitely has a supreme confidence in himself and in his ability to make some of these shots. I just don't know that he's the best person to take some of those shots down the back. His ability to get to the free throw line unmatched, clearly. All right, like he gets to the line a lot. He he knows how to do that really well. It's the, it's the shot-making and creation portion of his game that has not been stellar, and he needs to figure out how to become high-efficiency, low-shot input Wendell, and playmaker Wendell. Because when he was in that mode, those games where he shot like six or seven shots, but he had like eight-plus assists, were the best games of the season for Auburn. No, 100%. We talked about this a little bit before on the pre, you know, talking pre, pre-recording. There was not many guys throughout the season that stepped up and that we'll use the phrase went off here. And I say went off going 20 plus points a game. Right. You look at how many times uh, Jabari and Walker did that last year and Flan, even the year before that. You didn't have many guys do that. So I can maybe get from Wendell's standpoint of like, hey, if no one's going to do it, I got to do it. And I think everybody right. had really hoped that that would be a role that Jalen would play. And really outside mm-hmm. of the Mississippi State game, when he just didn't feel I mean, like if, missing if any Bruce threes. Says we're going to build the offense around a guy. You're hoping he is going to be a guy that's going to give you 17, 18, a couple of games, give you 20 something. And he did it, what, twice this season? Yeah. I mean, it just, there were not many guys who were dumping up 20. And then, the games that Wendell would ha- have a lot of those, like I said, a lot of those are just coming because he was getting the line so much. All right. So you did not have many of those guys. I mean, that was a huge missing ingredient for this team is you never had, what do the young kids say? He is him. Like you didn't have anybody who He's wanted like to be. A, a, tr- a true scorer, like a, yeah. like a bucket getter, like a guy who's going to go get you buckets. You don't have that. And, and Janai Broom, as, as, as good a player as he is in the post, He's not just a true bucket getter, right? Like he needs the offense to flow through him in a specific way that this offense really isn't built to do. Um, I think he played really great in that role, but like you need a, you need a, a, I won't say ball dot. You need KD Johnson, but when he wanted to be KD, right? Missouri, Missouri game last year, KD. Yeah. You need the guy who is just give me the ball and get the hell out of the way. And you don't have any of those guys. Got it. The psycho KD and the the deal with Broom too is in those situations where Broom could have been that guy. These late games, well, what was always happening? He was always kind of consistently in foul trouble. We right. ain't got enough time for me to be preaching on the mic about some officiating this year, but we 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 just if you know you know and everybody knows. But do you think? And I, I was kind of I was going to ask this question here. Like, do you think the flack that Wendell is getting from a lot of the fans out there? Do you think that's warranted, or is that just kind of overblown? It, it's easy overblown. Target? I mean, I, I think that there's some validity to understanding that he did have moments of hero ball that happened in games. Um, But it's almost as if you look past the good stuff just to zero in on the bad stuff. Um, And, and I hate to tell a lot of these people, a lot of the players that they would trade Wendell for have some of the same issues with them. Mm -hmm. They do. Like I, I I saw people um, seeing what's the kid uh, Quando from Georgia. Yeah. In the portal and people yep. were like, oh, we need to get him. He's a book. Some of the same issues. Bad shot selection, uh, poor efficiency numbers, turnover problems. Just he's not a really a person that can initiate your offense. It baffles me sometimes, like when people look at players and say, Oh, we need somebody like him. And it's like, to do what? To replace what? Who 
because I, I and I have this conversation with people often. Well, not often because people don't talk basketball well enough for me to really have basketball conversations with them. But I ask uh, periodically of people, okay, so you don't want Wendell to take the last shot. Who do you want to take the last shot? And they're like, oh, I'd like to see Jalen take those shots. I'm like, do you know what Jalen's percentage is on shots that he takes within the last two minutes of games? Now, I don't have that number in front of me, but I can tell you it's not great. Mm-hmm. It's not great. In the last two minutes of, of close games, Jalen Williams is not great. Oh, I gotta, well, I, I want to see uh, Flanagan take those shots. Flanagan didn't get a lot. Of, he didn't get a lot of those opportunities. But I can tell you this: his percentage ain't great. Katie yeah, I mean, Johnson, I think, not great. Yeah, I mean, I think if it's, I think if it's, if it's a deep ball, I'm I'm really going to say like there, there, no one on this team proved that that was the only time. We saw a clutch deep ball was Katie against Vandy, and they ended up letting Vandy drive it down and get a bucket with five seconds left. So KD is really probably the only guy that I would say should be taking those shots just because he doesn't, the moment always feels small for KD. Like he loves that kind of stuff. Now, Wynn loves it. He just doesn't make those shots well yeah. enough. Jalen Williams is not that guy. I'm sorry. Like, I love Jalen Williams. I think he's a fantastic player. I actually want him to come back next season and continue to improve. He's not that guy. He doesn't want that moment. He, he'll he take the moment if it's presented to him, but you want a guy who wants to shoot that shot? KD's that guy. I think Flanagan probably is that guy as well who wants to shoot that shot and just hasn't been getting a lot of opportunities, and he really just started to get back to sophomore season Flanagan form to even be a guy you'd consider to put in that position. But I I just, again, Jabari was that guy. He's proven it in the NBA. He wants that shot and he's going to make it. You give him that shot five times, he's going to make it three. Tennessee game last year at Tennessee. I mean, even though Auburn lost that game. game. Last year at Arkansas. Florida game. Jabari's making that shot, man. Yeah, win or loss, that was Jabari's shot. Now I got I got one little synopsis. This is kind of kind of pivoting to the looking forward. Now I want I want to get your opinion on if you think this is kind of a fair fair way, kind of how I perceive the Wendell situation is. I'm with you. the The Wendell flack is overblown. Obviously, there's just fair critiques. The losing it in the clutch moments are always going to put extra heat on you, just because that's going to be the all eyes on you type situation, and those are going to be when people scorn and sting the most from those. But right. I think people definitely kind of take his abilities for granted and what he means to the team. And if you remember last year, people thought Zepp was going to be the starter and Wendell was going to kind of be the bench guy. And that shifted real quick. So, But Wendell, Wendell was still always the closer, though. Even when Zepp was starting games, Wendell yeah. was the guy in at the end. And getting more minutes than he was, too. Yeah. There's a reason for that. And you got to trust the coaches and what they see. But I think the issue is with Chance coming out, with Trey still being young, you, Wendell, I do not think is necessarily the Swiss Army knife point. Swiss Army knife point guard, the guy that can do and should be doing everything. I think Wendell should be having a very specific role mm-hmm. with very favorable matchups for him. But I think you need more depth at that guard position and more ways to rotate that around as a team when the mismatches aren't there. Because when Auburn, because when, when Auburn was getting hit, they were getting killed. Yeah, that was because when it wasn't there. It wasn't, it, there wasn't even a chance. And I think that's the problem is when you're putting all that on Wendell, I'm not going to say unfair might be a strong word. Use the right word, by the way. There wasn't a chance. That's, that's yeah. an absolutely correct word because. Good, good phrasing there. Yes. That's, that's <laughs> to me, 
that was the thing that I expected this season was when you went into a game where you needed to be able to go big, you have Chance Westry as a premier ball handler, and you could say, all right, cool, we're going to go. Now, I didn't expect Trey Donaldson to emerge the way that he did, but I, I expected you could go Chance Westry at the point. You could go Alan Flanagan at the two. You could slide Chris Moore to the three or Jalen to the three. And then you'd have Treyor and Broom, right? Like you could go to this big lineup and still be able to run your offense effectively with guys that can score. Mm-hmm. You never got that at any point in the time. Now, I mean, again, with the emergence of the Trey Donaldson, you could get Trey Donaldson at the one, but then still, where do you go at the two guard position, right? You have yeah. to go KD, still kind of small because Flanagan hadn't really been that guy, right, to score. Again, I'm thinking about scoring from your your guards, and Trey hadn't emerged as a scorer. Lanigan had just really at the end of the year barely gotten into that scoring spot. So you just couldn't just go six three and up and get scoring from this team. So when you're playing bigger teams, they could just go trap your guards, shut your offense down, and you get into this late clock situation. You can't get into the post the same kind of way that you could. So yeah, you, you said the right word. You just never really got a chance. Yeah, and since there was no other guard that could really put a lot of heat from the one standpoint, all you really had to do was just game plan for Wendell. Real yeah. easy. The other teams, there was one person they had to focus on. You know, uh, you got a guy that come off the bench. Maybe he'll get five or six points on us, best case scenario. But for the most part, he wasn't really getting a whole lot. Maybe some from the line. So we got to worry about him. And you could just take Wendell out of it. So I, I think there was definitely a lot of burden on him that a lot of that just came from the lack of depth. And how much of that is and isn't fair on him. I think he's getting a little too much heat now. We don't know who on this team is going to... Obviously, Zepp is the only one that is for sure out. Mm-hmm. We don't know who on this team is or isn't going to be here next year. Right. Wendell could announce that he's transferring the day after this podcast drops. So we don't know. Yeah. I personally think that if you can build the right pieces around this team, Wendell Green as a rising senior who's been on this team for what would be three years at that time is a guy that you want to keep around if you can if he's got the right pieces around him. Because like I said, when there was a Jabari and there was a Walker out there, he was a lot better because there were other weapons and teams didn't just have to take him out as a non-factor. And they, so I mean, they I, really weren't even keying on Wendell. Like they would try to key in on the pick and roll game and and hedge on that to get the ball out of his hands. But then you're, you're asking him to give the ball to Jabari Smith. Yep. And I think you do that. I think if you've got other guys out there who can be assets as a, as a weapon, that accentuates what Wendell is good at, letting him do that. Then also, too, when you do have favorable matchups for him, you've got him in there, let him get those assists. And then if there is a bad, if they're, hey, if they are kind of keen in the game plan, switch some guys out, put a little bit more size to the guard, play chess, not play chess, not checkers. And I think it's just going to be kind of the roster management. I think that's kind of the whole fundamental deal. If we go back to the whole synopsis, whatever it kind of looks at moving forward and where did the team really achieve at the season where did things go wrong kind of how did they how did people feel because i definitely think it was kind of a feeling of disappointment me personally i don't know how you could feel disappointed you went to the round of 32 it was pretty evident early in the season as we discussed that this team ceiling it was evident that the ceilings would be a little bit lower than maybe we had hoped it had been mostly with the fact that you had a five star and a lot of hype from these freshmen and a lot of guys returning I would say round of 32 is right really where you'd want to land. I think that's a pretty kind of all things considered. You did pretty well. You finished where you finished in the SEC. You won some games you probably shouldn't have won. And you, know, you may have lost some that you wish you could take back. But you were in and you were close for a lot of games. Like you played what I'd say an honorable honorable year. And 
you lost, you inevitably lost to a one seed. So it's not like you got upset. You lost to potentially one of the best teams in the country who may end up winning the tournament when it's all said and done. Right. You can't really, you can't be too mad at that. So no, I I think this, this team, if you were to get, if we were to do the, the over even under, right? Like did they overachieve? Did they achieve right where they were supposed to be? Did they underachieve for this season? I'd actually lean towards overachieve, slightly overachieved, right? Because, you know, just making the tournament 20 wins for a team that had the deficiencies that Auburn did and a lot of the struggles that they did throughout the season with injuries and just uh, some of the inconsistent play, you know, there were points in this season where, again, a lot of people told me that this was an NIT team. So just making the tournament, those people should have shut up, right? Like you should immediately yeah. stop talking if you were a, we're not going to make the tournament person. Then they go out and actually win a game in the tournament in, in semi-convincing fashion, right? Like the Iowa game, they dominated for a vast majority of that game. Like the, the final score wasn't dominant, but they really put it on Iowa for the vast majority of that game. And for a half of the game against Houston, they were dominating that game, right? So for the team that a lot of people said doesn't deserve to make the tournament to play a game and a half of dominance in the tournament, I don't know how you can't say that that team didn't slightly overachieve for the season. Um, I'm not mad if you say that this is right where they're supposed to be, all things considered. But if you say that this team underachieved, I don't know how you can get that assessment. Auburn, Auburn is numbered currently right now. They're 28 in Ken Palm. That's probably where they're going to land in the year. They are 32 at net. So really what you're looking at from that, you kind of average those out. This is a top, this is still, with all. it's, it's just weird to kind of like process. Your this is still a top 30 team. Right. It's probably right around where you'd say they're at. The 330 so odd other teams out there, Auburn would probably beat more times than they would lose. The 20 so odd teams in front of them would probably beat them more times than Auburn would beat them with maybe a few exceptions for matchups in this center or another, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're probably right where they should be. Yeah. That's still to be top 30 and that be kind of like a down year or floor is still like insane, especially considering how many things didn't go Auburn's way versus how much did. Right. Really good place to say, had everyone been healthy, had all these freshmen panned out, maybe you kind of finish top 20 in there, maybe you make the Sweet 16, but still like round of 32, top 32 teams in the country, the net and Kim Palm ranked that. You got a good floor there. And you got Aiden Holloway coming in, and very likely you're going to see a lot of stuff in the portal. Don't think, like, you got good momentum. You've been making the tournament in, year in, year out. Unfortunately, the year that happened with COVID, you should have probably been a two-seed that tournament. Could have made a little run there. But once again, you're doing a lot. Now, as much as I hate to say this, I think a lot of the disgruntled issues that come from fans is because of what Alabama's doing this year. For sure. That's like 80% of it. Is and, that- and no one wants to admit that. Yeah. People are mad that Bama's actually good at basketball. And they're like, the year that we're not amazing, Bama's good. And so Bama fans get to 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 rule the day as far as the memes and the the jokes and the blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, you, you're you're losing the battle of of rivalry right now. Not necessarily because if Bama stunk this year. Auburn fans would still be like, if Bama was an NIT team, like yep. be real with yourself as an Auburn fan right now. If Bama was an NIT team, would you feel better about the way that Auburn played basketball this year? Yeah, switch, switch, um, 
Just put Bama where Vandy is right now, all things Correct. considered. Yeah, maybe even they beat you one. Maybe you split the series. You go one and one with them. You feel a lot better about the season. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And it's, it stinks. And I think, obviously, all the other stuff going on with Alabama, too, adds to it. And there's quite the storyline. I think Auburn fans should, looking toward the future, feel pretty good about things. The clouds that are over that Alabama program, I do not think are going away anytime soon as far as what may come out for this situation, how it's going to affect recruiting and things moving forward. Their overall reputation. I mean, we saw what Nick Saban said about that whole deal. I mean, that that's awful. Like just that much division amongst their athletic department for Nick Saban to come out and basically passive aggressively quote what Nate Oates said in almost like a mocking, condescending way. Like that doesn't show uh, that doesn't that doesn't show that all things are great in paradise over there. So that I don't, I personally don't think that this narrative is over with all that. I think the more stuff that comes out, it's just going to be a nastier look for them. They got a lot of distractions, a lot of clouds, and the talent that is on this Alabama team ain't going to be here next year. So don't necessarily think that uh, that rise to prominence is going to be something that uh, they're going to be able to kind of hang with consistently. Their arena renovation that they're trying to do doesn't look like it's getting the funding it needs to take off. So like, it's not like they're just on the the forefront of just the greatest days to come in basketball. I mean, I think they just capitalized on the fact that they had some good players on a down year and just throwing as much shade Alabama as I can. I mean, look at their look at their path in the tournament. I mean, everybody in that bracket got upset. So, I mean, they essentially just have the easiest cakewalk on earth to the Final Four if they want to because the teams that probably could or should have beaten them had they been matched up with, you don't have to worry about Baylor's physicality. You don't have to worry about Arizona. You didn't really have to worry about West Virginia, who I still think would have been a better team than Maryland had they not been in foul trouble. You don't have to worry about Virginia. So, I mean, it was just that was the most upsetted bracket that you had. So, they've got the easiest. And I just compare that to Auburn's when you know you had to play like, you know, the likes of like Kansas and North Carolina and Kentucky to get the final four. So, definitely, if they have a good season, it's just easy to mock them there. And even the SEC tournament, they didn't have any tough draws really because just all the teams that would have been tough matchups for them got upset. So, that just always seems to be the story when they have uh, good years is. They just the the luck of the draw is just so so abundantly in their favor. So it's kind of mock them for something. But anyway, to what Auburn season is going back to Auburn because we're talking Auburn. It is what it is. They're a top thirty team. Safe to hang your hat on that. I say good year. It just stings because it's never easy to like look back in a happy retrospect after a loss, right? Especially one where you're up by ten and a half and you really felt it because that happened to Auburn a lot. They got up a lot. They would it would crumble away because of the, some of the pieces and the depth and this and another. But I think the last stat that I kind of want to hang up on, I know we kind of teased it roughly, but I kind of want to zoom in on it specifically because we, we talked about it, is the bench points for this team and where I think that kind of gets better next year because I think the segue and everybody's really wanting to know is like, what do we think might be happening next year? What pieces need to add? What would be the, what would be the recipe? What would be the spark to make this gumbo start boiling? You look at your points here. You got Broom. 14, Wendell 13, Jalen 11, Flan 10, and you had KD at 9. Then you've got a drop. You go to Dylan at 3.7, and then Chris Moore at 3.5, and then Zepp at 2.8. So you just, and you look at other years past it, that's a massive drop from your starting five to your bench. And we'll just put KD in there for sake of conversation. The bench production for this team was rough. I mean, even Trey Donaldson was two and a half. Like, he would get minutes, but he wasn't putting up points consistently throughout games. 
obviously we know what happened to Treyor ending with 2.1, and that was kind of where his downhill downhill went to. And Treyor being 6'10, I think we said that his averages for rebounds were like 1.4 for the 25 games he played in. So that was probably one of the factors that got Treyor booted out of there. Zep is just Zep. We know how he plays. Cardwell kind of had some struggles toward the end, wasn't getting a lot of buckets when he was in there. So that's, I think, fundamentally what was happening. I think if you were able to just pump unlimited energy, put that little you know NCAA video game hack in where your guys didn't get tired, you could put these starting five or maybe six, and they just had unlimited stamina for 40 minutes. This Auburn team does a lot better. And instead of five fouls, they can get eight fouls a game. Hmm. You wow. see a completely different team out of this. But fundamentally, is that bench what was a hanging your hat on point last year was not this year. And a lot of that, once again... Let's go to the Chris Moore injury there. That was a massive blow from that production. Yeah, I mean, just the, your bench was devastated between just what you you expected to get out of guys and then injuries. Um, you just you 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 were having Flanagan come off the bench. Um, I, and again, I think he flourished better as a starter. But when Chris Moore came in um, back from the injury, just wasn't the same guy. Cardwell's never really been a scoring guy, but he just wasn't giving you anything. He didn't get anything from Chance Westry because he barely played. He didn't get anything from Johan Treor because he just didn't play well in the minutes that he had. Um, and then Trey Donaldson doesn't emerge until the end of the season as somebody who can actually score. So your bench not being as as deep or as capable of giving you points when they come in the game, you're going to see those scoring lulls and you're going to allow teams to get back in the game because even if you can defend decently, you still got to score while your starters aren't in the game. And we just weren't able to do that absent of like I said, late year Katie Johnson and very late year uh, Trey Donaldson. Yeah, and that's absolutely it. And to that to that whole point there with the bench is you gotta you gotta replicate you gotta replicate those minutes when the guys come out. They're able to do it last year. They couldn't. And I went through and the the essence of what helped kind of create this episode and sort of you know my my takes of the statistics sides of it is I was digging through these stats. I was because the answer I was trying to find so many people were asking kind of. I'm going to be a little more blunt when I say these phrases here, kind of on the frustration side of the fans is what went wrong? Like kind of where, where did this team kind of take its turns? Why did we not feel like we really got over the hump? Mm -hmm. And I was trying to dig through the stats and say, was there something consistent in the wins? Was there something consistent in the losses? That was really just a plague of this team. And we hit a lot of those. And aside from your guard play on the other teams, there wasn't just a whole lot of like, because some teams, some games Auburn would win, they'd shoot lights out from three. They'd shoot really good from three. Though you know, it wasn't there wasn't enough consistency there. Oh, oh, we're at thirty nine percent from three. All right, we're at you know twenty five percent. That wasn't consistent enough. And same deal with the wins. Like this person's going off. This person's having a bad game. There wasn't a whole lot there. I mean, aside from just the phrase that I've always said, consistently inconsistent. But I think the safest point that we can bring up with this. Because everyone was, everybody loves pointing fingers at the guards. I really do think it just has to go with the bench production. And I think we kind of harped the reasons for that. But I think that is the most consistent, easiest thing that's showing up passing the eye test, as well as passing what the stat sheet says is you had a massive drop off from five to six as far as point productions went. And you obviously, Bruce is not playing five guys a game. And even after the Israel, tournament he was kind of toting and that was what he was saying in some of those interviews after that was they were looking forward to they were excited to play 12 guys mm. they couldn't hardly play 10 once the season got rolling so right. their game plan for what they wanted to do back in last like september versus what ended up happening in february march 
complete 180. And I think to get to where they got, because everyone, that was another thing we got to spell quickly is this was not bad coaching on Bruce and staff. I think to oh my pivot with as many things as they got, yeah, lazy narrative, real stupid narrative. To pivot is the, the difference between a, a okay coach and, a, and a, a great coach. Given the punches they hit to still end up where they ended up with, got to hang your hat to that. Maybe even a better coaching job than some of their better years record wise. Yeah, I, I just don't understand that narrative, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to take time to 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 try to refute it because it's such a lazy narrative. It's dumb, but also too, the team never quit. These guys, <clears throat> even after losses that seemed like they would just take all the wind out of your sails, they'd come back, they'd get good wins. Even after that Kentucky game where it was just like you just got absolutely just bulldozed, nothing went your way. You play a hell of a tight game against Alabama. Then you come back and you beat Tennessee. You've got a tough loss against Arkansas at the SEC tournament. You put it in the past. You put that short-term memory, delete it, and you come back. You have a nice win against Iowa. Then you play as respectful of a game as you can against Houston, all things considered. And that was kind of the story through the whole season. And like I said, that goes to good coaching and coaching these guys up, not just from what their performance or what they can do on the court, but mentally keeping their heads right in the game. Because a lot of other teams, and I think a lot of other coaches, would have lost their guys. And somewhere after that West Virginia loss, mm-hmm. this team would have imploded. And who knows? I mean, they the only win they might have gotten on the year might have been a- after after West Virginia. I really could see a- A&M. I mean, the only win they could have gotten on the year might have been Ole Miss and Georgia. They don't make the turn. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a there's a and the the losses could have been a lot uglier. So I think it's props to them for playing strong and getting through it. Now, I guess the last thing though, what do you think the recipe for the next year is going to be for what this team? Obviously with Holloway, but like what other groups do you foresee them bringing in? They just need. They just need. Okay, so the big man rotation sucked, right? Like Nybroom goes out of the game, and you you can't really get anything from the bigs, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to end up going super small inside. So you need another 6'10 plus guy to step up because Joe Trier wasn't that guy. Yep. So they're, they're going to have to go get another big, especially I don't know what the future of Dylan Cardwell is. Um, and then you need some sort of scoring... I don't care. I, I honestly don't care how tall the person is, as long as they're a good ball handler and they can they can generate points off the dribble. Uh, I prefer for that person to be somewhere between six three and six seven. But you need some sort of because Aiden Holloway is though he can he can fill it up in high school. You don't know what that's going to translate to in the in the uh, in the SEC. You need a six four to six seven ball handling score to come in and play. If you get those two things, another 6'10 plus guy that can come in and really just give you grimy buckets. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a, a double double machine guy, but just, you know, solid defensive guy who can come in and, and get you some some buckets inside. Um, and you can go get you a a, a score from 6'4 to 6'7. Um, with all with everything else staying the same, literally bringing back every other piece that you have, this team is going to be drastically different and dangerous. And worth noting, Holloway, and obviously he's still growing, he's young, is 6 0. So yeah. for people that are lusting over that potential, don't be talking, don't be talking smack about this team's undersized and being like, oh, that's our savior, because can't have it both ways. Right. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think it's, I, I mean, obviously, I think you know, it was easy to say a score and, and kind of where the rotation goes. It seems by most reports, Flan's probably gone. Who knows what will happen with Dylan? Who knows what will happen with Jalen? Um, seems like if they if Stretch kept around, it's just because they had an empty scholarship spot and they just like I mean, his attitude. He, and I mean, he never scout played, team. So it's, yeah, it's, so I mean, it's just hey, we don't have anybody to fill the spot. You can just stick around, come get your masters or something. But it's it's going to be. I think Trey Orr's the one you circle because I mean, there's been some rumors tossed around of like, hey man, maybe this isn't for you. And I mean, you've talked about extensively as like. It ain't like he's going to transfer up. I mean, if he's going to play ball somewhere, he's going to probably have to go down to like a mid-major or a smaller Power 5 team. Yeah, I don't I, think Treyor goes anywhere because where is he going to go? I mean, that's that sounds like I'm crapping on the kid, but he's got a lot of work that he's got to put in. Um, and I don't think that Bruce is in the habit of processing out guys after one season unless he's just showing no signs that he the light's going to come on. Um, mm-hmm. Because... I just, I, again, I just don't see that being the case. So if he's working hard, he's going to still be on this team. He's still got an opportunity to come in and contribute. Um, but, you know, the, the the wild card is Chance Westry, right? Like, he's definitely coming back. Is he going to come back ready to hoop? Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, there's still a bunch of what-ifs with Jalen Flanagan, um, Dylan Cardwell, I mean, there have been rumors going around that Wendell was going to go. And I think a lot of that was just some of the Instagram stories and this and that. And right. you know, we're not here to speculate on rumors, but we just have to also say that anything is possible. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I think your safest bets are, you know, Broom, because obviously he's already transferred. You kind of want to say that for Wendell, but, you know, they're, who knows? Because I don't know exactly how basketball works. I mean, because yeah, there I mean, are the, some guys. What's the kids um, that was ju- like Justin Powell, right? Like he's transferred like 800 times already, right? So. Yeah, like how it works across the country and in conference and waivers. and Because, I mean, I'm sure with basketball, it's probably, hey, as long as you're outside the SEC, you know, we'll give you a waiver if you want to. I don't know exactly how those rules work. Seems like they're changing every other year with football, basketball, wherever. So it seems like if you want to transfer, you can go. And how much of that is, did we want you gone? Did you want gone? Or was it a mutual agreement? They, right. you know, yeah, Stevenson's another publicly. example, right? Stevenson, that was his second transfer when he went to West Virginia because he had just transferred into South Carolina the year before. Or maybe it, was, it might have been even his third transfer. Like, he he was school hopping there for a minute. So, um, I don't yeah. know. And, I mean, people talked about Chris Moore. You could talk about Chris Moore again. So, it's definitely going to be out of the next drama. And that's probably going to be the, I'd imagine, the next lob towns could be covering who's going and who's coming because yeah. that's going to be the hottest thing because once... Once April hits, you're going to start seeing. Remember, you see it beforehand here, probably the next week or so, to a certain extent. But once April hits, it's going to be going, it's going to be a madhouse of basketball, and it's going to get exciting. Because I mean, I remember there was a lot of hype when Broom came in, and I think it's safe to say Broom lived up to that hype. And I think that's probably, I think you got to hang your hat on the most safest people to be around next year. I had to say, probably be Broom and uh, say Katie. Yeah, I don't think Katie's going anywhere. I don't think, you know, people have speculated Trey Donaldson might not be happy with his minutes because of Aiden Holloway coming in and potentially Wendell Green staying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's earned additional minutes and Aiden might be the guy that ends up sitting dis- maybe to the dismay of some Auburn fans who think he's going to come in and be this point god. Um, but, you know, if he can play off the ball, then you definitely play Trey Donaldson heavier minutes as your point guard, whether it's start or backup. And then you get, you know, Aiden off the ball because you can remember you gotta, you gotta 
Zepp's minutes are out of there, right? So mm-hmm. he's going to still be there. And then you can have, you know, a four-guard rotation with him, KD, Wendell, and Aiden. Um, and then, like I said, you still have Chance Westry coming back um, to be that other wing player who can be a ball handler. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But like I said, definite coming back KD, definite coming back Janai Broom. Um, yeah, I, I think Flanagan's that, probably the safe. I'll say Flanagan's the safest to say he's gone. I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't mean it. He, he didn't seem like he was intent on making that announcement after the game against Houston. He did talk about him still having a year of eligibility left. But um, I'd imagine yeah. NIL would probably be a factor with that as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, because I, just I think any of these guys going. you want to stay. Yeah, I don't know that he's going pro, right? So, um, you know, there's an opportunity for him unless he's going to go overseas and play to come back uh, again next year for Auburn. I don't think he transfers. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's there's not very many guys on this team that you can circle and say, oh, he's for sure going to be back on the team next year as far as where you think they are temperament-wise with uh, with Auburn and where they are with their pro prospects. There just aren't a bunch of guys, or eligibility, I should not, not mean pro prospects, but they're just their eligibility. Because yep. I don't think Janai could make the jump to the league right now, even if he wanted to. Um, and Katie, Wendell, um, n- neither of those guys is, is, is an NBA caliber guard right now. Um, and so you just, you know, Chris Moore's not going to the league. So, you know, unless those guys find a transfer spot that they can go to, they're going to be back at Auburn. And like we'd mentioned too, with other teams in the league this year, with like LSU and Arkansas and Georgia, I mean, a lot in Florida to an extent, they, they pretty much completely had a 180 degree roster change between last year and this year yeah. Auburn kept a lot of guys but could that could Auburn be next on the rack where it's just a domino effect of this person leaves because they're leaving I'm going to send da, 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 da. Right. and then you see him bring in you know because you, you obviously get an extra scholarship because you're finally off the uh, probationary punishment period but right could you see is there a potential between seniors and just transfers or people you know not using COVID years I mean could you potentially see five plus like who knows and i think there's a massive debate for is it going to be good or is it going to be bad because a lot of people, oh yeah i'd love it if Jalen said oh i love it if flanked it you know there's the, there's a lot of talk about those things because then you then the flip side of the debate if you want Jalen or flanagan to stay are you saying you like them at what their production is right now or do you believe that they have not reached their ceiling and they could be better because i think that's a very important question to ask right for those two especially like because their games are not perfect now there's a, I'd say there's a heavier debate for more to gain from them staying, but to act like it would be some level of a Jabari or Sharif type situation, I think it's going to be a stretch of, hey, that these guys were just absolutely on fire and absolutely consistent and bring a whole lot. I mean, if but they were, also- they'd be going to the league, right? Like if they were at that level, there's no reason for them to stay. So um, I think staying gives you some continuity and some stability and some seniority on that team. The question for them, as you said, is whether or not they can continue to improve. Because if you're going to get the exact same thing you got last year, then you're going to hope to get somebody in the transfer portal and move them to the bench. Yeah, but I think one thing we uh, we feel pretty safe about is obviously with Bruce only bringing in one high school kid, they feel pretty confident that this is going to be the year that they rebuild a lot around the transfer portal and that they go and do it. They got a lot of high school talent coming in the year after. And let's be honest, too. Uh, he said after that game of Houston that we're going to go out and we're going to 
we're we're recruiting immediately. So yeah, they're gonna they're gonna start they're gonna start making moves. The basketball transfer portal is not open to too much longer. So we're gonna start seeing this stuff. I'm sure gonna be popping. I'd be hard pressed to think you don't see some action. We're recording this on the 21st on Tuesday of March. That you don't see some action one way or another next week. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're already making the offers, and some kids are going to start making their decisions. I'd be shocked if we made it through the first week in April and there weren't two names already on Auburn's roster that weren't last year. Yeah, and that's as well as probably I'd say two who either seniors decided not to come back or guys who said, "Hey, I'm transferring." And I think the storylines around who does what is going to be incredibly interesting. And like I said, I mean, outside of Broomer KD, I can see a serious case for any. And I almost honestly, this can sound kind of crazy. I'd almost see Chris Moore being the third most likely to stay at this point. Yeah, I could believe that. I, I think Chris Moore is happy with where he is. Um, and, he didn't leave last year. Yeah. Why would he leave this year? Yeah. You know? Injuries especially on Chris Moore's season more than anything else because he yeah. was he was starting so. Yeah, and he was playing very well, too, as we stated. But especially if Flan leaves, I mean, I think if Flan's gone, which definitely seems the most likely, I mean, Chris Moore has just, he's skating into really solidifying those three minutes. So I think he by far has the most to gain, as does Broom, and as does KD. So Wendell, I mean, I think Wendell has a good case, but with all these other things kind of going around and the flack and the guard and one, and, you know, maybe Wendell just said, I've had enough, I'm going to go somewhere who knows what's going on there? It just seems kind of suspect from stuff that had kind of been bouncing around social media. And as we kind of said with the freshmen, I mean, I, I, I think you probably say Chance Westry is the most likely. I mean, Trey made a case for himself, but as you kind of said, I mean, the, the guard room might be starting to get real crowded, especially if they're bringing guys from the transfer portal and just yeah, Trey Donaldson. If we bring in a transfer point guard, I think Trey Donaldson leaves. Yeah. And I, I personally, I mean, hot take. I mean, I love Trey's game. I loved his minutes. I don't think he had to, you know, really flourish enough what his potential of what his potential is. But just given what you saw on tape, I mean, I think you're falling in love with the potential more than you fall in love with the product. I mean, do you want to gamble on that next year? Or do you want to bring in, hey, this is a guy who is really proven with everything that we want? And then I think if you're Trey, you've got a you've got a tough decision there to make. And then I kind of a weird wild card is does Leo Berman say, hey, "I'm going to grad school. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a fifth year walk on." I mean, they'll give him a scholarship if he stays. I just don't know that that'd be the first option they'd ha- want to do is say, "Hey, yeah, we're we're good with Berman being our extra scholarship that we're gonna throw out here." So I, a lot of decisions to be made here coming up in the next couple of weeks, and it's going to be like you said, very interesting to see. Um, a lot of interesting names already in the transfer portal. A lot of interesting names could be entering the transfer portal as the season comes to a close. Um, so we will definitely be back with you guys here soon to talk more about some of those developments right here on Lobtown. We're about to get out of here, man. We appreciate it. You guys, um, it's a longer episode, but hopefully you guys have enjoyed a little basketball talk. We owed you guys a little bit more. So had to get in here and, and have this discussion Of course, your man Ike Jones right here tweeting at TWR Ike Jones. Auburn memes tweeting at Auburn memes. So direct all of your vitriol towards those two Twitter handles. If you completely disagree with things that we've said, if you agree, we probably will never hear from you. But that's it, man. We're out of here on this edition of the Lobtown right here on the Auburn Express powered by the War Report. We will see you guys next time. War Eagle. War Eagle.